There we go. So uh, anyway, um, so if you've got questions and you're in the audience, I mean, I got a boatload already, I'm telling you, but if I happen to, you know, slow down and be quicker and I get through, then I may ask for any questions in the audience. So if you've got something you want to ask about, get yourself ready. So who's got the microphone? All right, Cameron's got it, so we'll see how this goes. So I'm going to get right to this. Is that good? So Lord, minister life as we just talk about current events and, and what the Bible says, etc., and breathe life on us in Jesus' name. So here we are. I've got a number of questions that have come in here. A lot of them have to do with the political landscape right now, so we'll just meander on into this. What do you think? So uh, again, glad you're with us. If you're online, I encourage you when you can. Come on out and be with us. We really need to be together as believers. It's a crucial time. Iron sharpens iron, you know, uh, uh, and, and we sharpen each other when we're together. So we encourage you to do that. So I've got a number of questions. Here's the first one. I uh, would like to know what pastor sees happening in the days slash weeks following the election and how should we prepare for it? Well, that's a fairly loaded question, isn't it? Uh, well, I, you know, I think, uh, I think we're going to get up in the morning and have a cup of coffee. And I think I'll have a couple of eggs over well. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, you know, I think I'll enjoy my wife's company. And I think life's going to go on. That's what I really think. Uh, however, there could be some challenges. And, you know, it's a volatile time. And, and uh, man, in the history of my life, this is one of the most volatile times, certainly uh, for pol- political things. And people are kind of at each other, other's throat with their words on Facebook, yada, yada. So... You know, I just say be pray, pray, uh, praying about it. I know uh, we had a mass prayer gathering in D.C. in September about this very thing, about what's going to be happening around the election. A lot of people, if you noticed on Facebook, social media, a lot of people saying, well, the Lord said this, the Lord said that. And you've read all that stuff, and I have too. So, you know, some of it's probably true. But here's what I want you to hear, because a lot of people get kind of freaked out about all this stuff. Listen, uh, you know, you got to understand one thing about God is he's eternal. Everybody say Eternal. What does that mean? He doesn't live in time. So, you know, he lives outside of our jurisdiction. We live in time and space. He lives outside of time and space. And uh, from everlasting to everlasting, Scripture says you are God. So, so everything's right now to God. And, um, and so, you know, we get moved about things, but he doesn't. So, and then when he speaks to you, uh, and, and so you get to pray, and these people have said, well, the Lord said this about the election, said that about the election, or this is going to happen, you know, all uh, helter-skelter is going to take place in the streets, and they're going to be all kind of, well, understand that, you know, sometimes the Holy Spirit will show you, well, you know, you could have, you could have number one, number two, and number three happen, and it's kind of according to what we do and how we respond as to whether or not these things occur. How many know you know, in, in human life, we live in a fallen world, and it's like we're in a battle. In the New Testament, uh, the New Testament gives the, gives the metaphor of we're soldiers in an army, and that we have an enemy, and we have to resist the enemy with the weapons God gives us and put on the whole armor of God, etc., right? So, so if you look at it from that vantage point, you, you know, we are in a spiritual battle, and there are, in, you know, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, Ephesians 6, the apostle Paul said, but, and so when we're praying, See, the enemy wants to create all kinds of mayhem. But, you know, if we pray and do it right, we could keep him from doing it, right? So, so with some of these folks that have, heard, uh, have said, well, I think the Lord's told me this mass mess is going to be happening after the election. Well, it may, but, you know, we could pray it away. So the question is, are you praying about the election? And are you asking the Lord for grace and mercy on our nation? And, and 
or he commanded the devil, take his foul hands off this nation in Jesus' name. And, you know, and then we just, you know, we need to walk in love and be kind to people too. We need to set an example, right? So, so as far as what will be happening in the days and weeks following the election, so be pragmatic too. We are living in a different time. If you look at the macro uh, in, in, as far as time and eternity is, occur, is, is concerned, I've been teaching on the book of Revelation on Wednesday nights and you know, it really does look like world events are lining up for Jesus to return. Every generation has said that. Having said that, it could be 100 years from now, and this is just kind of like, you know, God could say, well, I know you thought so. I'm going to wait a little while longer. But, you know, it may be. It looks like, really. World events are lining up. And I've been talking about it on Wednesday nights as I teach on the book of Revelation. So, uh, anyway, if you haven't heard that, you're watching online, you're in the room, you can go to our website, and that whole teaching is there. We've had 23 lessons so far, and we're all the way to Revelation 13, so there's a lot of information there. So, you know, I think we're because we're living in such a volatile time, and I think it is a time of transition from the age of grace, and there is an age of judgment coming according to the Scriptures where uh, the earth itself is going to turn against its inhabitants. And, and, and you can term it what you want. Uh, a Bible term would be judgment against sin and judgment against the enemies of God. And so Scripture says those things are coming. So, you know, that time in between the age we've been living in the last couple of thousand years and the church age, it's the, it's the age of grace where, where it's easy to make Jesus Lord. You make your choices, decisions, and live with them. But now we're entering into the end of the age of grace, going into the end of going into a new age of judgment just before Jesus returns. It's a really, really volatile time. So, so I, I would encourage everybody, you know, Get your ducks in a row. If you don't know the Lord, meet the Lord. You know, if you need to, if you need to clean your life up, clean your life up. Live right, be right. So, uh, you know, m- maybe part of what's happening with our election is part of that mix. We'll all see one day. But what can we do to prepare? I've also said because of the volatile days we're living in, and this is the weirdest year in my life, probably yours, with COVID-19 and all. And, and when this first broke out, it showed you real quickly, you better have some toilet paper at home, right? And it's, you know, I mean. And, uh, you know, the food got scarce. You know, meat was in small supply there for a while. It's all okay now. But see, uh, when things happen, we could have natural disasters. We could have, you know, weather, weather phenomenon. We could have geologic issues with, with um, uh, earthquakes, all that kind of stuff. And that, that can really hinder life. And, and then, uh, you know, if we do have some volatility after the election and trucks can't get to your grocery store, every grocery store's just got a couple of days' supply, there's a run on food, what you going to do? I mean, you know, so, so the idea is, here's, what I, here's how I think. You know, Joseph, God showed Joseph, Joseph seven years, uh, well, God showed the Pharaoh, and Joseph interpreted the Pharaoh's dream. There's going to be seven fat years where there's plenty, the crops are, you know, gangbuster, and then there's seven years of famine. And say, get ready in the fat years. So I think we're in the fat years. I think it's time to get ready. I think it's time to prepare. So for me in my house, you know, I'm not a prepper. Well, some people call me that. But I've got food. You know, I've got extra food. I've got dehydrated food. I'm not waiting on the... On, on the truck to show up at the grocery store, if something happens and the, and the shelves are empty, I got stuff at my house. It's plentiful right now. Get you some stuff. I'd say have a few weeks supply anyway, just in case there is a weather phenomenon. Go ahead and do it. It's not going to hurt anything. I've got a way to have, uh, to have uh, clean water. I've got ability to do that. I've got things if something happened and the, and the electricity went out, I can charge my cell phone. I can charge my, my uh, computer. I can get online. You know, I've got ways to, you know, if, if the cell towers are working, you can do that. And uh, so I've got those kind of things. So just be wise. That's the idea. Be wise, be prepared. 
and, uh, you know, just live, live as if you're ready for anything. That's my encouragement, just, not just now, but, but here on out. We could really see some volatile times, and I do foresee, you know, I don't like it, but I do foresee some volatile times coming. That doesn't mean that not, God's not going to meet us and, and that you're not going to be okay. It just means you need to be wise and prepare for any eventuality, and I think it's a day to do that. So I think that's a practical way to think. So that's what I would do the days following the election. I'm certainly praying and <clears throat> just asking God to have mercy on us. What I have heard, you know, and you've heard the same things you have, that whichever party wins the election, somebody's going to be upset about it, not happy about it, and, you know, maybe some skirmishes and such in the streets. That could happen, but, you know, if we pray and, and, uh, and, and ask God for grace and mercy, then, then perhaps these things can be curtailed and we'll keep moving. It could be that the election happens uh, Tuesday, and, uh, and we don't know who, who actually is elected because they're trying to, you know, you got mail-in ballots and this and that and the other, and somebody's going to question this and that. 20 years ago, remember the chads 20 years ago? Remember the chads in Florida? And said, well, we don't know who won. Well, you know, now it's a little bit different, but nonetheless, still the same ideologies there. People are going to try to, you know, perhaps do some things that, um, that would hinder the process. And, but anyway, I think God's purposes and plans are going to be fulfilled. Here's my deal. I, whichever way it goes, whoever wins, I know God's going to take care of me. Do you know that? And, you know, uh, I'm not a fatalist. I don't say que sera, sera, whatever will be, will be. I think we need to be, I think we need to be honest. I think we need to be people of integrity. And if we're living in a nation that affords us an ability to have a voice in government, and it's supposed to be government by the people and for the people, then we need to let our voice be known, right? So, I mean, it's just right for us to, to honor our civic duty and vote. So, having said that, whichever way it goes, you know, it's telling me one of two things, either, you know, either way, whichever way it goes, it may speed up or slow down some things that will eventually come because of the times we're living in. That's honestly the way I think. So just be ready, be prepared. Here's question two, 1 Corinthians 15, 52. Now I should have turned to that and I didn't do it. So here we are, 1 Corinthians 15, 52. Let's see how quickly I can... Go to this hard copy Bible. Y'all still read hard copy? Well, I read a lot on this because I got about 40 on that. Uh, 50, here we go, 52, right here we go. So he says in 1 Corinthians 15, 52, is 1 Corinthians 15, 52 referring to the seventh trumpet? So 1 Corinthians 15, 52, now the Apostle Paul's talking about what the Bible terms the rapture of the church, the catching away of the saints. Uh, the word rapture is really not in the Bible. It's a... It's a um, it's a Latin word, rapier, and it means catching away, caught up. Nonetheless, now this I say, brethren, the flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Verse 50, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 51. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep or die, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, the word twinkling is the Greek word atama, and it means the, the, smallest, the smallest increment of time available in the quicker you can bat your eyes says in the moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed so the question is 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 this referring to the seventh trumpet if so does that mean the rapture happens at the seventh trumpet so this person obviously has been here on wednesday night and on Wednesday night, the book of Revelation, there are seven seals that have to be broken on a scroll that is in God's right hand. That scroll is God's title deed to the earth. Unroll the scroll and, God's, and the scroll contents is God coming back to reclaim his 
claim the earth. And then, so you got seven seals. And then after that, sequentially, you have seven trumpets that blow. And with the seven trumpets that blow in the book of Revelation, there are sequentially, you know, certain judgments that happen. And it's a really mean time when the trumpets blow. And then after that, you got, uh, you've got uh, bowl judgments or labor judgments. Uh, again, Jewish folk in New Testament times, when they went to eat and they wanted to cleanse their hands, they have a small, very shallow bowl, barely scooped some water out of the bowl, washed their hands, they had a certain way ritually to wash their hands and all. And then they dry their hands off. So that bowl is God, the final cleansing of the earth. You've got seals, trumpets, and bowl judgments all sequentially happening in the book of Revelation. So this person asked, that seventh trumpet in the book of Revelation, Revelation eleven fifteen. I taught on it a few weeks ago. He said, is, uh, is 1 Corinthians 15, which talking about the rapture, talking about the seventh trumpet? And I would say, no. No, because the rapture occurs. And we've talked about this, and I'm not getting, going into very much more detail because it's all online. The notes are online. You can read it yourself. Rapture is going to occur, you know, during those seals being opened up. The sixth seal, Jesus said, Matthew 24, uh, cosmic disturbances will occur. The sun, moon, and stars will darken. There could be a geologic disturbance, so there could actually be something that happens that creates a, a plume of dust and smoke and stuff in the sky that just obscures the light of the sun. It could be a meteorite. It could be, could be a, a multiple volcanoes. You just don't know what it is. Nonetheless, right after that, Jesus said, Matthew 24, that's when the rapture is going to occur. So rapture will occur prior to that seventh trumpet sounding. Person asked that question. That's the specific answer. And if I've totally confused you, come to me afterwards or send me an email at pastor at victorchurchraleigh.com and we can talk about it. I'll go look on the notes on the website. Number three, how can, uh, oh boy, this is a good one. You ready for this one? How can we have a conversation with those who see believers as haters that speak against same-sex relationships? Oh boy, you like that one? So, so the question is, how can we have a conversation with people who think you're a hater and you hate people if you say something against homosexuality lesbianism, or same-sex marriage. Now, those are issues today. June, uh, end of June 2015, our Supreme Court of the United States ruled that uh, same-sex marriage was equal to heterosexual marriage. The Bible disagrees with that very, very clearly. So the question here is, how do you have a conversation with those who believe that you're a hate? It's hate speech. If you say anything about homosexuality, Anything about lesbianism or same-sex marriage? You, well, you just really hate me. Well, no, no, no. Historically, it's not hate when you disagree with someone. You know, I thought about this. You know, if you get a liberal arts education from a college, I mean, the whole idea is you're studying all kinds of things that differ from each other. And the idea is you should be able to intelligently take a subject Think about it, intelligently listen to someone who disagrees with you and have a nice conversation about it. Yes or no? So, so what happened to that in America? Why can't you disagree with someone without being a hater? So, so number one, personally, if somebody says, well, you just hate people because I disagree with their philosophy, that doesn't mean I hate you, just means I disagree. You know, uh, if, if, if disagreement meant hate, then, then the then the um, uh, prophets of the Old Testament, some of the worst haters in the Bible. 
If disagreement was hate, then Jesus was one of the worst haters in the Bible. And he hated the Pharisees and Sadducees and religious people. He hated them. So no, he, Jesus didn't hate people. He never did anything wrong. And if, if, uh, if disagreement was hate, then my goodness, the apostle Paul was a huge hater. And all the apostles were as they spread the gospel all over the world. No disagreement is not hate. hate. That's the first premise so I wrote down here in answer to this, to have a differing opinion has nothing to do with hate, yes or no? Now, if somebody says that, the idea, and the question again is, how do you talk to somebody if, if they say, well, you just hate people out there? What, you need to be up front and say, well, no, no, I don't hate anybody. I might disagree with something. That doesn't mean that, doesn't mean that I hate them. So if you minister to someone, the question is, how do you minister to someone that says you hate if you disagree with a particular sub? Well, start on common ground. You know, just, you know, find out what you can't agree with a person. I mean, just the laws of communication and getting along with somebody is, is, is find areas of commonality and start your, start your relationship with a the person there, start your conversation with a the person there, you know, so you can, find, you can find a middle ground. You can find a middle ground with anybody if you'll try. Maybe accept the devil. He'll try to make one, but he'll deceive you, right? So anyway, start with common ground. And, and then here's the way I, I take a slant. If I'm, if I'm talking to somebody I disagree with, I say, look, um, you know, all of us have a lens that we see through, a lens of life. We have a worldview. Now, now you, you know, here's my worldview. I, I don't have the right to, to force my worldview on you, right? Right? No, I can't do that as a believer, and I shouldn't try to do that anyway. But I have, I have, the, I have the freedom to believe what I want to be. We believe we live in a free culture. So far we have, okay? So I have a, a differing lens that I see life through my worldview. I have a Christian worldview. And so the Christian worldview is that all sex out and see if I'm talking to somebody, maybe they're a homosexual, maybe they're a lesbian, maybe they're, they're, they have a same-sex marriage. I say, well, if I'm sharing the gospel with them, I say, well, I have a Christian worldview, and here's part of the Christian worldview. See, I'm taking it away from me and them. I'm, I'm saying this is what, the, this is what the, the Bible says. You stay down there. Uh, all sex outside of heterosexual marriage is sinful in the eyes of God. See how quiet it gets when I say that? But that's what the Bible says. And, and you know, the Bible, is, the Bible is a living book, but you can't change it to meet, uh, meet the changes that each culture brings. Look at you, bro. Thank you. Give this man a hand. This is a miracle. You know, he had, listen, he had a stroke. How many months, how many months has it been? June 18th, 19th. And he couldn't walk. Is that a miracle? Thank you. That's a big deal to me. My, my, thank you. Anyway, come on. So again, you know, uh, you talk about what the Bible says, and those are the values the Bible holds. And, you know, and then you can just let the conversation go from there. But, you know, as a believer, and then for me as a pastor, see, these are, these are, these are, these are really challenging issues, and it could be, now watch this. Now it could be that the challenges that are in our future, according to what happens to our nation, and uh, according to what we choose as Americans, and then also what I know as the Antichrist rises up. Antichrist is the Bible calls him a man of lawlessness. He he won't have the Judeo-Christian ethic that 
the United States heretofore has lived by. We're not living by that now in a lot of ways. We're not, leaving, we're, we're not living uh, according to that with our sexual standards right now. Are we as a, as a group of people and as Christians? We should, but we're living in a culture that's lost its moorings and moving away from that. So I think this, whole, this issue right here could, should be a cause for, for um, they, could, they could label this hate speech eventually. I mean, some places they're trying to make it hate speech if you disagree. Um, if, if you say the Bible says that homosexuality is sin or lesbianism is sin or same-sex marriage is sin, they're going to say, well, you hate people and they'll label it hate speech. And I think that could be some of the persecutions that come in our future. So how many know you need to be praying about all this? And again, if you're watching online, you're homosexual, lesbian, maybe you're married a person of the same sex. I would have to say to you that God loves you deeply. God the Father loves you deeply. He loves all of us deeply. And the gospel is all about Jesus Christ, the Son of God, loving us enough to take to pay the penalty for our personal sin. And what in, in modern America, 21st century America, we tout that God is love. Everybody said God, God is love. Everybody said, well, God loves you. God loves you. I mean, I, I listen broadly to all kinds of people. Oh, God loves you. God loves you. What you don't hear is that God is pure. And that God is holy. And the thing that differentiated God from all of the pagan gods in Bible times that surrounded God's people in the nation of Israel and such was the fact that God was holy. The word holy, Old Testament, New Testament, means one thing, set apart. God is so far set apart, he's nothing like us. He's pure. And here's the Bible narrative is that nothing that is impure can enter heaven, nothing. And the Bible narrative is that we have fallen hearts. We're sinful people. We're sinful to the core. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. And we want to do our th own thing. We go our own way. And we don't care what God thinks or says. We want to do what we do. So if you believe what the Bible says, we are eternal beings. And it's appointed unto man once to die and after that judgment if you believe that, and the Bible does teach that, then what's the antidote for sin and how can sinful people go to heaven? Well, God sent his antidote for sin. His name is Jesus. Jesus was a perfect man, lived a perfectly sinless life. And then Jesus, because he was a sinless man, he, was, he didn't have any sin he had to pay for himself. He paid the penalty for our sins. What is the penalty for sin? Incarceration in hell, the final judgment, and then a place called the lake of fire. That The Bible is very clear about eternal judgments. Jesus took our eternal judgment. Is that good news? Well, that's the gospel we should be sharing with someone. But, but for Jesus to, to, for you to personally accept Jesus as your sacrifice for sin and not be judged when you die, the Bible says one thing is necessary. You got to repent. Repent means you have to change, be willing to change your mind about how you're living life. So if you're living something in something that God says is wrong, and when the Bible says something is wrong, it's called sin. We don't use the term sin today in American culture, do we? You don't hear it outside of a church setting. So a lot of people don't even know what sin is. Sin is disobedience to God. Jesus took our disobedience to God and became it. He became the sacrifice that judicially settled the score that God had against us because of our sin, because he's holy, we're impure. We can't go to heaven. 
Jesus died, was raised from the dead. And when you accept Jesus as Savior, you're saying that I'm impure, I'm ungodly, I'm sinful, I need a Savior. I need someone to redeem me from my sin. I need somebody to pay the penalty for me. I believe that Jesus is the virgin-born Son of God, that He died in my place. He went to hell for me. He was raised from the dead. He's seated in heaven. He ever lives to pray for me. And Jesus come into my life, forgive and cleanse my sin. And you know what? That makes you pure and holy. The only kicker is you got to change. Let the unrighteous man forsake his, his ways and the unrighteous man his thoughts. And God said, he'll have mercy. So repentance is in view. So that's how you share the gospel with someone who whether, I don't care what kind of sin they're involved in. They could be shacking up together as, you know, as, as lovers. It doesn't make any difference. They could be a thief. They could be a liar. It doesn't make any difference. Sin is sin, right? And so the antidote's the same, and his name is Jesus. So that's how you share with somebody that doesn't have the values you hold. Here's, here's a woman in John chapter 8. Jesus was, uh, <clears throat> Jesus was walking down the street, and the religious people, I mean, they literally went into a tent. Here's a man and woman in a tent having sex. I mean, right then. And they pull the woman up off the man, and throw her in the street. And they say to Jesus, this woman just been having sex with a man in the tent. And they're not married. But the law says she's got to die. What you say? What you say? What you say, Jesus? Snarling at it. And he just looked a little bit, you know, looked down at the ground, wrote a few words on the ground, said, well, <clears throat> any person that hasn't sinned, throw the first rock. You said you're supposed to be stoned. Chunk it. Go ahead. And nobody said a word and walked away. And then he said, ma'am, I don't condemn you either. Go, you're free. Just stop doing that. Is that cool? Now, that's the person I like, don't you? That takes the religious snarling out of it. And he put it on the basis of, I love you. Go and sin. He gave her another chance. Is that good? That's how you share the gospel with somebody not like you. Then here's another question along the same lines of many believers that say, that this issue of homosexuality, lesbianism, same-sex marriage, I think it's a sister question, this third one I asked, that was asked. There are many believers that say uh, that this, these issues are between the person and God, it's none of my business. Any suggestion on how to have that conversation? So again, I think this person says there are many believers that uh, that say that's between them and God, that person and God. You don't have a right to judge that person. Don't say anything about homosexuality. Don't say anything about lesbianism. Don't say anything about same-sex marriage. So you can go further and say, don't say anything about people living together in fornication. Don't say anything about all those kinds of things because just be quiet about it. Well, you know, if I love people, you know, again, if, uh, if I'm driving, if I'm dri riding in the country and here's a country road, and this happens some now. And 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 let's say let's say there's a big storm, and, and there's a flash flood, and it washes a bridge out, and it just happened, and you just happened to be coming going that direction, and you came up on the washed out bridge, and it's a 55 mile an hour, you know, you know, secondary road, and you turned your tail around, and you come back, and you see somebody hightailing it the direction you just came from with a washed out bridge, what would you do? Dude, I mean, you'd turn your lights on, flash your lights, blow your horn, stop, stop, you know, weave in the road, do whatever you can do to stop them, because they're going to get hurt if they don't stop. Yes or no? So if I know somebody's living in sin, something that will keep them out of heaven, 
Now I'm not going to go be a religious person and stick the, take my King James Bible and stick it down their throat. What am I going to do? I'm going to love them. I'm going to have a relationship with them. I'm going to ask God to draw them to himself. I'm going to ask the Lord to open up opportunity for me to share with them. And that means that if there's somebody in my life I work with, there's somebody that is in my family, and our family members are the hardest to minister to, right? So you might get your tongue cut out if you talk to your family. I don't know. know. On Thanksgiving, you bring up that, you might be outside eating your turkey on the ground. I don't know. So you got to watch your family. But you know, if uh, you come across people and you're with them all the time, develop a relationship with them in some way. And then ask God to open it up and let the conversation meander that direction. And then don't be religious about it, love people. But be honest about the gospel. And when people, I've had people ask me questions about things and I never thought they would, but they ask questions because the conviction of the Holy Spirit came on them. No man can come to me, Jesus said in John 8, um, uh, where is that, where is it? John six forty four. No man can come to me except the Father himself draws him. There is no conviction without the Holy Spirit. And nobody can come to God without the Lord drawing them first. So that's how I first pray. If people you work with, people that you relate to, people in your community, etc., pray for them first. And ask the Lord to work in their hearts. And you know what? As you befriend them and just, you know, just be a, a nice social person. Be nice. Just be nice. Not religious. And, and, you know, God may open up an opportunity to share. And then they'll ask questions. Well, you know, you go to church, you read the Bible, Yeah. Well, what you think about this? Then you kindly say, well, here's what the Bible says, right? And, and that's how you approach those kinds of subjects. So again, uh, let's see where I, I put in my notes here. We're called to be salt and light. We're to let our light shine, share Christ with those we know. To see a need is to have a call to prayer, someone said. Pray for those, uh, for those who see no need. There may be believers uh, that say, well, you just need to shut your mouth and not say anything about these things. That's not what the Bible says. We're salt we're light. We influence people around us. And without Christ, people that are walking in darkness and doing things that they shouldn't do, they won't be going to heaven. Now, everybody in America thinks they're going to heaven. I don't care who you are and what you've been doing. You know, you go into heaven. That's the general. Con- I, I'd say, man, 90 plus percent of American people, if you ask them on the street, you go into heaven when you die, here's what they'll say. Well, I believe God's fair. I believe I was... You know, not an awful person. You know, I helped old ladies across the street. I gave to philanthropic causes. I'm, I've been a fairly nice person, you know. I, I treat my kids nice, treat my wife nice, treat my mama nice. I think God's going to let me into heaven. Most people think that. But you won't get in without the blood of Jesus cleansing sin. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, the life. And we've, we've sanitized ourselves in American culture from any obligation to share Christ with those that, that don't know him. How many hear me? That's the reason that we're having the problems we're having today. We lost our evangelism a long time ago. Europe, you know, the big cathedrals, you ever travel to Europe, all the big old gaudy cathedrals, the big old high ceilings, and you say, hello, 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 hello. I mean, it's just big old, big old building. Man, you know what they are now? Bars, Islamist centers, but they're not churches. Why? Europeans lost their evangelism. <laughs> The great revivals that we've had here started there. They lost. We've done the same thing. And you see the mess we're in today? Who caused it? I've got to say it's me, it's me, it's me, oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer, right? So here's number five. Uh, the statements, oh boy, y'all ready for this? Let me take a deep breath. So we got some, uh, we've got some political questions here. You ready? 
the statement, stand down and stand by, that President Trump said some time ago, has many wondering what the president meant and are questioning his intentions. Any words of encouragement? Well, thank you for that question. So I had to go look this up, you know. So here he is uh, somewhere um, and talking and such. And um, I think it's, you know, we're at the height of the people, you know, um, the mass mayhem in our major cities and such. And then the president made a statement. Somebody said something about, I think it was the Proud Boys. And he said, stand down and stand by. And why did he say that? And then some people you read into that, that the president uh, was making a racist statement. And that he was favoring one group over another. But here's what you got to see. Now, now, and I've got a lot to say, so hang out here a minute here. So let me talk about the Proud Boys first of all. The Proud Boys are a militia group, as I understand. And, and it's just a group of people. They're armed to the teeth and all that, you know. And, uh, and they're tired of people coming into their community and ransacking it, burning things and destroying property and then harming people's lives and creating fear so that the residents can't, can't live in a peaceable situation. And they're saying... And they're saying to the Antifa people that are coming in doing this stuff, you're not coming to our community. And, and so uh, people asked the president, what do you say to those people? And he said, he told them, just, just hang out a minute. Stand by, stand down. Now, now, why didn't he go further? Because they were wanting him to say, well, do you condemn them like you do Antifa? And he wouldn't do that. Why? Well, they have a First Amendment right for freedom of speech. Secondly, they have a Second Amendment constitutional right in the Bill of Rights to arm themselves and to protect themselves, their families, and their property. And so if he had said that, he would have been going right against the Constitution that he, uphold, that he took an oath and to uphold and to defend. How many hear that? Now, you know, that, that's exactly the reason I think why. And then this other part of this question is, uh, many are wondering what the president meant and are questioning his intentions. So I just said what he meant. And then questioning his intentions. Now I've got to make a statement here. So, so hear me out. There is a huge media bias today. Yes or no? Now you've got to have your fingers in your ears and, and your hands on your eyes not to see it. Or mentally dishonest not to see it. Or so snookered by it that you're just blinded. Now that could be the case. It's a huge media bias today. In fact, the media outlets are all, have you noticed they all use the same buzzwords and they say the same thing. You can turn, a ch I've done it. CNN, MSNBC, uh, ABC, CBS, NBC. If I left your favorite one, include it in, okay? Fox News, all, they're saying the same stuff. But somebody up here, it's telling them, say this, 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 this. And they're using the same words. It's like, you know, if you're smart, have them use different words. But you, they're using the same phrases. They're getting talking points from something. That's suspect. Anyway, there's a huge media bias. And man, 99 point whatever is against Trump. Yes or no? Huh? And now things are different than it was when I was a kid. You know, as a kid, you watched the 6 o'clock or 6.30 news at night. Here's Walter Cronkite, CBS News. That's the way it is. You know, Wednesday, November 28th, 2020. 
This is Walter Conkright, CBS News. Good night. And you know what he did? Spent 30 minutes talking about the facts. And then you went on your way and you determined what the facts meant to you. Now, we got 24-7 news. You wake up at 3 o'clock in the morning, I can't go to sleep, click the news on. Well, here's what he really meant. Here's what they're doing. Here's what's happening. Does it happen? So there's somebody telling you what to think. So for Trump, whatever he does, and this is what I've noticed, and I look at both sides. I look at those who say they're conservative, and I look at those who say they're not. Uh, and you know what I found? I found there's a dichotomy and there's a, there's a real bias against Trump. Whatever he does, nothing seems... Uh, they, they, uh, it, it's, it, it seems like he's disagreed with constantly. I'm trying to sum up my words here because I'm watching the clock too. There is an agenda. The media bias is obvious. I'm just going to read my notes here. Information is being censored. How many know censorship is happening today? Google, what's this? Google, Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, and other uh, social media outlets are censoring things. That's the reason you go to uh, Facebook, YouTube, and there are videos and say so you can't see it now. And you click on it and you can't share it or somebody shared it and now it's off and you can't. Why is that? Censoring. Why? There's information that they don't want you to hear. Now, you know what that reminds me of? When I was a kid, I mean, you know, the Cold War was on. The Soviet Union was the big bag booger bear. And, uh, and, and you just knew. And everybody said, and I'm a little kid. All the adults told me, man, they are, they're being censored. Their news is telling them propaganda. And they're being brainwashed. And, you know, uh, they, they don't realize. And they're, 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 they're saying things about America to the, to, the, um, to the Russian people, yada, yada, yada. And exactly the same thing is happening now. Yes or no? So there, there's, there's brainwashing techniques going. I know it's weird to say it. There's brainwashing techniques going on. And there are people gullible enough to believe everything they hear. So, 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 so how do you deal with that, Pastor Mitch? Well, here's what I do. When I look at media stuff, when I look, and, and I, don't, I quit looking at the news. I'm done with it. I'm done. I don't need somebody lying to me. I, I don't need it. I'm a grown man. I have a brain. God expect me to use it. And, and you know, you have an intuition and you have the Holy Spirit inside as a believer. You ought to be able to recognize when somebody's not telling the truth or they're speaking biased statements that may not have truth and fact to them. Yes or no? Now it's becoming harder and harder to tell the difference. So here's what I do. I'm going to tell you what I do. Uh, eclectically, I gather information. I've got lots of news sources I look at when I look at the news. I'm going to read the Bible first. I'm going to see what God says first. I keep my inner person built up with God's word, which is truth. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, the life. So I want truth. So that's, the, that's my worldview is the word, is my relationship with Jesus. Once that's there, then I look at media outlets. The first thing I do whether it's on the internet and I'm looking at different websites and such, or, or I just happen to turn news on and be watching a broadcast somewhere, first thing is I want to look at the source. Who is the source of this information? All right, what media source is this? Who is the source of this? Who's the author of this? Because that can tell you immediately what bias. Everybody's got a bias. You have biases you live by, right? I have biases. You have biases. Everybody's got a bias, right? So, uh, 
You just got to determine what bias are you listening to when you hear something. And that helps you quantify what you're hearing. Is this slanted? Is it trying to make you feel a certain way about a certain subject or a person? Is it completely uh, uh, factual and accurate? And often you'll find there's a slant. They'll take something out of context and then make you believe something that somebody may have said. But when you take something I say out of context, it makes truth not true. Yes or no? And that happens constantly today. And if you're not discerning enough to do that and you just gullibly listen to whatever so-and-so is saying because that's your favorite news anchor or that's your favorite news source or your favorite news magazine, your favorite website, you're going to get in trouble. I had a whole series of lessons this summer on, on um, living truth in a time of great deception. We are living in a time of great deception and more and more it's more difficult to differentiate truth from non-truth. Yes or no? Gaslighting is happening all the time. And it's propaganda and things are said to make you feel and think a certain way to bring a certain outcome. And uh, you might not agree with what I'm saying, but what I'm saying is absolute truth. Yes or no? Everybody looking at me in the room, I don't know what you're doing watching, but you need to think about what I'm saying. So anyway, number six here, how can a Christian vote for the dip? Oh boy. How can a Christian, any Christian vote for the Democratic Party? That's a question. I'm not a Republican, this person says, but independent, and I've never seen a more God versus Satan election. That's this person's view. Okay, they're entitled to their view. And then here's this, this other question. This is actually from another person, but it's a similar question. So let me mention it. Everybody good? Y'all quiet now. Everybody's like, what's he going to say? I know. Here's the second, here's the number seventh question, six and seven similar. JFK would not recognize the modern Democratic Party, this person says. How can one reconcile the possibility of a born-again Christian who is also an ardent supporter of the modern Democratic Party? Hmm. So this person thinks that to be a believer and vote Democrat, you're wrong and you're sinning. Now, they didn't say that, but I'm reading that into it, right? So how can a believer do that? Maybe you know a person. Maybe you go to our church and you're voting Democrat. Well, am I supposed to look down my nose at you and say, you old sinner, you need to repent? No, you have a will and you have a mind and you've got to choose what you do, yes or no. Now, I might have opinions about it, but I need to be kind with my opinions, yes or no. So if you think through on this subject, there are Christians who vote for the Democratic ticket, yes or no. These people seem to indicate how in the world can you be saved and go into heaven and you vote in Democrat? Are you joking with me? Well, you know what? A lot of believers are. So, so what's the difference? Here's, here's, I thought through on it. So, you know, I was born in 1958. That means I just turned 62 this month. Now, the Democratic Party that was in force when I was a child is, is a different Democratic Party today. So here's the way I think about this. If you're an older person and you're a Christian and your family for generations has been Democrat, you've been Democrat, but you've been that way for a long time because there's a lot of history there. There's just some things you got to realize. That Democratic Party you started with is absolutely not the one today. 
John F. Kennedy was a compassionate person. He was um, somewhat conservative at the same time. He really had compassion on the down and out, and he wanted to help people. Now, yes, and so generally those that are Democrat, they want to help people with social programs, and they want to help people that are down and out. Yes or no? Well, you know, all of us ought to be that way. We want to help people, right? All of us ought to want to. But what you got to know is the Democratic Party today, if you go look at the platform, and they've got a statement to make, we've got to be willing not to look at a party, but look at the platform they believe. How many? So change the word party to platform. So what is the Democratic platform of 2020? What is the Republican platform of 2020? What's that independent person's platform? What I mean by platform, what do they believe? What do they say is valuable to them? What do they say they're going to do if they're elected to whatever position? See, that's a platform. So my, my, my heart today as a pastor for you is vote platform, not party. And that takes the confusion out. What do the people believe? You know, there are people that they don't hardly even keep up with any of this. They're tired of it all. They don't like the vitriol, the bitterness, and all the mess. Hey, listen, I'm just going to go vote. Well, you know, that's not really wise. You need to know who you're voting for and what platform you're voting for. Because that person... If they do what they say, do you want them to enact laws based on what they say their platform is? You better think about that now. So how many know that's important? Yes or no? Have I made you mad yet? Okay, good. <laughs> so um, um, let me do this. Watch this. So I voted last Monday, Monday, Monday a week ago, and I uh, got my little sticker. And uh, so I was in the booth and I'm looking at all the candidates and I'm thinking because I've researched them what they think and believe. <clears throat> so I voted for president. I voted for a person for president. Now here's how I'm going to tell you. Here's how I'm going to tell you who I voted for. This is who I voted for and why. Watch this. Everybody's listening, right? You're watching and listening, right? I voted for a person who, colon, values our Constitution. A person who values freedoms, who values the Bill of Rights, freedom of speech, freedom of assembly, freedom of religion, the Second Amendment. Why was the Second Amendment written in the Bill of Rights? Why? Because no longer did the founders of this nation want a government to be a totalitarian government who told you what to do, took your money and didn't care what you think and told you to shut your mouth and you do what they say. And they said, no, if a government does that, you can rise up against them. You can arm yourselves with a militia and you can say, you know, this is a, this is a land where the government is by the people and for the people, Right? Everybody's listening, right? I voted for a person um, who believes in the value of the right for innocent babies to live. I did. I voted for a person who values small government. I voted for a person who believes, listen to this, in the autonomy of the United States of America from government, from, I'm sorry, from global control uh, with respect to our laws. That means we have our individual constitution 
and, and individual laws that govern our land, not some globalist law that try, they're trying to fit on every nation. Uh, we have our own currency. We have, our, we have freedom of religion. I also voted for a person who believes that we should have strong borders that check those who come in. Why? Because we need to be protected. If you let anybody come in at any time without even checking them, you could have a terrorist blow up the super, supermarket that you're shopping in and you'd be unsafe. Yes or no? Question is, do you want that? We need people that come into our nation who will be willing to adhere to our laws and our system of government. That's the reason we need borders. And then the Bible is very clear. And the term is not popular today and it's misunderstood. If I use the term nationalism, that just simply means the Bible is for nationalism. That is, the Bible is strong on nation states. That nation should be individual. See, see, way back, way back in the Tower of Babel, uh, heathen religions began. It was a satanic deal, and they wanted everybody to be the same. Everybody was of the same language, thought the same thing, and they built an astrological tower, and they were departing from God. And God said, "Nope, nope, we're not going to have a one-world government then." And he confused their languages, hence the word Babel. Now we have ideologies that have been raising up for a long time now worldwide. Their whole goal is a globalist utopia where all of the nations lay down their, lay down their borders and everybody believes the same thing. Everybody uh, conducts themselves according to inter certain international standardized laws. Everybody has the same currency. Everybody worships the same God with religion. And friends, that's what the Antichrist is going to do. Do you want that for America? I don't because I have a biblical worldview. So I voted for a person who believes in an autonomous United States of America. I voted for a person who believes in strong defense. I voted for a person who believes uh, that government should have checks and balances. We've got three sections of our government. Uh, and, uh, you know, we've got the... We've got the, uh, y'all help me, we've got the judicial, executive, and legislative. Three branches of government needs to be checks and balances. No one person has all the power because absolute power corrupts absolutely. And the Bible teaches because we're fallen people, we're self-centered and we need checks and balances. I voted for a person that protects our citizens. They believe in a strong police force. I voted for a person, watch this, who treats Israel with respect. God said in Genesis 12, 3, those, the, you know, if you'll honor Abraham and his descendants, you'll be blessed. If you don't honor Abraham and his descendants, you'll inherit a curse. There'll be nations that will not be nations when Jesus comes back. They're called, in Matthew 25, sheep nations and goat nations. Sheep nations are the ones that honored Israel. Goat nations are the ones that said, Israel, get out of here. So I'm voting for a person that honors Israel, and you need to think about that more than twice. I voted for a person, again, like I said, who values religious freedoms, a person who says they'll lower taxes, and a person who believes in property ownership. Now, right now, uh, particularly with the young people in America in our colleges and universities, 
See, this ideology of socialism and communism is rising back up. The whole idea is nobody ought to have any more than anybody else. We shouldn't have these wealthy, big organizations, corporations, and all that. Uh, you know, the government ought to own all that. Communism and socialism is being touted as, as, a, as, a, as, as a really delectable way for the human society to be governed. If you look at history, it, it produces control from the top down. It's called totalitarianism. And, and it's called a dictator telling what you what you got to do. I've been to countries who have socialism. And guess what? Everybody lives in a matchbox. Everybody lives in a high rise. Nobody has personal property. Nobody has property rights. The government owns everything. The government tells everybody what to do. Everybody is beleaguered. Nobody has anything. Everybody's a pauper unless you're a liar or part of the mafia or part of the elitist regime. How do you want that for America? I don't. I don't want to live in it. And millions, untold millions, are begging to come to the last bastion of freedom in the world called America. How many hear me? So I voted for that. Now, who do you think I voted for? Nobody's going to say it. Look at this. Hmm? Who do you think I voted for? Raise your hand if that's your view. Raise your hand if you think that's what I was saying. Raise your hand if you ain't going to say. <laughs> I'm joking. Forget it. Now, I don't mind telling you I did. I voted for Donald Trump. Why? Now, listen. You got to hear me out. Uh, I do not care for him. Listen. I do not care for his pride. I do not care for his arrogance. I do not care for his harshness, his ridicule, his name-calling, his bombacity, uh, his pompousness. His self-promotion, I don't care for that at all. Uh, he uses, he, he speaks hyperbolically. He uses hyperbole. Hyperbole is intended exaggerations to make a point. I can handle it, but we're not accustomed to that in 21st century. I don't like all that. But see, what I had to do is I had to separate the man from the platform. And when I looked at the alternatives that we have, and, and, I, and, I, and I look at my Christian worldview and what the Bible says the Antichrist stands for, which is a one world globalist idealism. And I looked at what I, was offered me, then I had to vote platform. Does that make sense? Now, whether you like what I did or want what I did, it's my personal choice. And you have to choose what you're going to do. And here's what I know. I'm going to have to stand before Jesus and give account how I voted. And he's going to say, what you do, son? Or why'd you do that? I say, well, for the following reasons. So I followed my heart and I followed my conscience. How many get that? Now you've got to follow your heart and follow your conscience. Here's number eight, because everybody's looking at me like, my God, my Lord. You know what I did notice? What's this? Can I talk? Y'all Okay. I can't see you on the other side of the camera. You know, I go for a walk for exercise. I walk my neighborhood, got a huge neighborhood, nice neighborhood, uh, two miles. Take off from my house, two miles all the way around. There are lots of houses. Now, you know what I noticed? Now, I'm going to tell you what I've seen. 
There are eight Biden signs, Biden-Harris. Guess how many Trump signs there are? Zero. Why? Because people will egg your house, throw tomatoes at it, set your grass on fire, say bad things about you, tear your, tear your signs up because it's a volatile time. Yes or no? Anyway, just thought I'd bring that up in passing. So here's, uh, uh, everybody okay? I've got to hurry through. I, I'll be, I'm almost done. What do you feel has been the biggest, and I was changing off of this, all this other mess here. Let me ask, there's one more thing on this, uh, on the side of um, uh, the election. Will God judge people by their voting decisions during this election? What do you think? Will you, here's a question. Will you stand before Jesus and give account for who you vote for and what they believe and the direction they're taking our country? And, and as a Christian, would I be held accountable by Jesus for what happens resulting from the way I voted? It's a yes or no question. You answer it. So that's the reason I vote the way I do. I vote my heart. You got to vote your heart. That's all I'm saying. So number eight, uh, what do you feel has been the biggest mistake in your ministry? What would your advice be to someone uh, else seeking to be a church leader for making this mistake? The number one biggest mistake in my whole ministry. Now, I've been minister since 1981. That's 39 years this month. In fact, October 25th was 39 years specifically. And um, uh, four years ago, I had to make some really hard choices. Here's what I did wrong. The biggest thing I did wrong and this happens as a church. We, when I came here, we had 49 people, ended up with hundreds and hundreds and hundreds. The biggest mistake was I had to create everything that was here from scratch in the mid-1990s, set up all of the programs and all of the ways we did everything. I actually set up our bank account with codes. I set up everything sequentially, everything Every, and so as results everything revolved around me I met with all of the leaders schooled them showed them how to do this make sure they're doing what they want to do gave them motivation do all the leadership stuff but the problem was I was in the center of it and then as the person in the center of it I found out some things that I lack I so love people I be, believe the best of you man I don't care I don't care if you're second cousin to the devil I will believe the best of you because I love you. And I'll give you a stinking chance. Now that's good and bad. That's good if you're a pastor, but it's not good if you're a head of HR in your, in your, in your organization. Human resources, right? Because you got to be honest with the personality and with the skill set the person has. Can they do this? Can they do that? And I hindered us because that's not the place that I need to be because my heart's too loving and too sweet. Nah, maybe. Maybe you don't think so. Maybe you think I'm mean. <laughs> but my heart is I want to help people. And so four years ago, God dealt with me. Mitch, have a Copernicus revolution. Copernicus in his day was ridiculed by everybody because he's the first one to say that the universe does not revolve around the earth. The universe revolves around the sun. And it was only after he died that scientists said, you know, I think there was something to what Copernicus said. I had to have a Copernicus revolution here. I took me out of the center of everything. It started in 2016, took a couple of years, hardest years of my life. I had to hire 
uh, a coach to help me put his bony finger in my face and tell me what I need to change and just tell me to shut my mouth. And I wanted to reform his mouth, but I didn't. <laughs> but that's the hardest thing. That's the, uh, that's the thing that, that's the biggest mistake was letting things as they grew, not taking myself out of the center. Now other people make decisions. We have a great staff team. We went through a lot of process, a lot of change. We changed our processes, but that is the biggest mistake I've made in ministry. And, and a lot of people don't understand why I did what I did, and I have taken a lot of personal flack, and it has been the most heartbreaking thing I've ever done in my life. But I, if I had to go do it, I'd do it earlier and take the flack way long time ago. But anyway, we're doing good, and God's gracious. How many believe that? I'm almost done. Everybody good? Why did God direct Saul to kill certain groups of people in 1 Samuel? Why did he give such a huge responsibility to a man instead of carrying out himself? Because God always works through human beings on earth. And God always has to have a man or a woman to carry out his plan and purpose. God could raise your kids, but he had you and your husband. Or you and your wife have them because you love each other, hopefully. And, uh, and then he lets you raise them, right? And so again... Uh, why did he, um, why did he uh, direct Saul to kill certain groups of people in 1 Samuel? That's the first question. The reason was these uh, pagan cultures that surrounded Israel and, uh, uh, were rampant occultists. And they worshipped heathen religions. And the way, listen, the devil is so uncanny. The way they worshipped heathen religions was through sexual immorality. Now, I could tell you stories, and I've told you a lot of them. I mean, oh my gosh, their, their images were sexual images. And all of their pagan uh, um, uh, temples and such had sexual relics in them. They had sex orgies in them. And so they had, listen, they had heterosexuality, homosexuality, lesbianism, pedophilia, bestiality, and you name it. They had sex with anything. And, they, and the archaeologists have dug up the bones of, uh, that, are, uh, you know, that are in the strata of the earth and have found venereal diseases even in their children. And they say, so why did God say destroy these cultures? Because had Israel intermarried with them, and they did. But if, it, but if it had gone on as much as they wanted it to, then it would have completely decimated Israel and there would have been no recouping from it. So God said, when you conquer a town, kill the inhabitants because they're completely corrupted. Even their animals, he told them even to kill the animals. They were eaten up with venereal diseases. And my friends, America's going the same direction. Isn't it interesting? Anyway, just leave that there as food for thought. Lastly, and I'm closing, what are your thoughts about cryptocurrency during this time? I just listened to a podcast yesterday, and I'm closing. Uh, and here's what the person said. He said, we are in a time financially like we were with the internet 20 years ago. Listen to what I'm saying. If you could get in on the bottom floor of Google or Amazon or whatever, uh, and with your, you know, with your investments, you'd have a, you, you could put in a little bit of money, you'd have a lot of money now. Cryptocurrency is going that way. My, I've told you this. My banker told me months ago, said, said we, we're kind of in the middle of everything. And she said, uh, everybody's going to digital currency. So cryptocurrency is the future. And I don't have time to go into detail. I will tell you, I have cryptocurrency. 
I've got a few. I won't tell you how much. It's not your business. It's mine. But I've got some. And I'll probably get some more because everything I know about what's happening is uh, it's going to go up in value, uh, way up in value. So I've got some. So um, that's all I'm going to say about it. But I think it's, what's that? Oh, my goodness. You better be quick. Okay, let's give a live question real fast because we've got to stop. Man, y'all. We've got one in the back back here, bro, with his oh. hand up. Oh, I got one. Right back there. Wait online because if there are people in the room, let's do them first. Uh, yes, sir. Uh, of course, I'm a Christian, but my question to you outside of Christianity, yes. if abortion is legal, sir, right? And our law say you shall not murder. Mm-hmm. So if a person has a right to decide on a human life, is that not murder? You know, it's given me saying I can go out and kill every person here because everybody here is living, right? And we know when a person, a lady is pregnant, there's life there. We believe so, that as Christians. Right, right. right. So there's, well, I know, but I don't want to get on. So I want, if you can, to get a scientist or whoever says, because from what I understand, at the moment of conception, there's life. And so it's not that murder when you know there's something living in you, you know, and you take it. So. Sperm hits egg, it creates a zygote. Two cells, four cells, eight cells, 16, 32, 64, 128. There we go. And human life is formed. Uh, but see, our laws right now say that there, we choose not to recognize those cells as human. And they have no rights in the womb. So it's counterintuitive, counter common sense, but that's the law. So your question was, is it murder if our laws say? Well, well, you know, the law is not going well, to... Well, well in, the, in the lawful sense, there's not going to be anyone that's going to put you in jail because you had an abortion. It's legal. Does that mean it's right in the eyes of God? Same-sex marriage is legal. Does that mean it's right in the eyes of God then? It's the same thing. So what others culture allows... And, and you're not, and there's no retribution if you interact with that is different than what God says is right and wrong. And so you just got to know that about everything in life. So I have a Christian, I'm a Christian, I'm a believer, I believe the Bible. The Bible has a completely different set of standards than the culture we're living in right now. And the whole world is going towards lawlessness. Just figure it out. So who else got something real quick? Pastor, we got uh, one that was texted in. Says, I want to wait, wait, stop. Okay. I want you to do it in here first. I okay. want to give credence to the people in here. Sure thing. Okay, go ahead. Yes. Yes. No. Uh, the law is contradictory. That so, is correct. Yeah, and God's if you law kill a, a woman who's pregnant, it's a double homicide. Well, that's, you know, that doesn't seem equitable. So, yeah, they need to be changed. That's the reason we need to pray. We need to pray for our law, our uh, congressmen, our senators, and uh, our Supreme Court. My, my. It's true. That's very true. Who else got something in the room? Anybody else? Because we got to go real quick. Anybody? Yeah, right here. Right over here. Hey, what's your name? <coughs> Uh, Abby. Hey. So when you're having a conversation with someone who 
doesn't particularly agree with the Christian world of view. Mm -hmm. You can offer them um, teachings from the gospel um, out of compassion and out of love. Mm -hmm. But where is the line between too much gospel and perhaps maybe pushing, or not necessarily pushing, but where is the line between too much teaching and not enough compassion towards others who don't see the world through a Christian point of view? Uh, well, that has to do with how open the person is to listen to what you're saying. And most of us have a general intuition when we're speaking with someone, whether or not their body language, their facial expressions, their visage in general uh, is, is indicating to us they're appreciating us talking or we generally get the, get the air that it's time for me to shut my mouth. And, you know, you just got to learn that. And I think some of us probably learned that the hard way. And, and some people, and then I've had people before say, you know, you needed to hush about 10 minutes ago. <laughs> you know, so, you, know, you kind of learn. Once you get it, you get it. And you hadn't learned it yet. We'll all, we all have to learn that sometimes in School of Hard Knocks, right? But that's a good question. Thank you. Who else got something? Real quick. Anybody? Going once. Go in twice. Now, what was the text message? Let's and we'll see, we do, got, we're done. Who do the Freemasons believe God is? I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> I am not a Freemason. <laughs> Go ask them. All right. You know, the Freemasons are a secret society. And they've got a strange belief system that lines up with a one world ideology, believe it or not. And they better than you, know more than you, smarter than you. And the Bible says, honestly, we ought to stay away from that. So if you're watching and you're a Freemason, if I were you and you say you're a Christian, I'd get out of it. Because God's going to have something to say to you about that. And I wouldn't put it on my tombstone either when I die. That's all free. I'm being real and honest here. So, Father, thank you just for an opportunity to talk and share, relate. Whether we agree or disagree, we can talk about things. So I pray for every person watching online, every person in the room. Help us to be able to approach the issues of our day with love, with kindness and respect for other people that don't agree with us. But help us to, to uh, stand for what we believe and be able to defend why we do what we do. Give us wisdom as we vote, and we pray for the United States of America that you would have grace and mercy on us. And as we vote, if we've not yet voted, speak to us about what we should do and who we should vote for, based on the platform, not the person, in Jesus' name. God bless you. We're done.